anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Hope everybody had a nice weekend. It is Monday. Man, got a lot to talk about today. My weekend was pretty good, all things considered. I got out on uh, my buddy's sailboat for a little while on Friday and got to do some barbecuing on Saturday. So, you know, as far as um, Chicago activities go, that's about as good as you can hope for. The weather, you know, it's been hot here, but the the wind has been coming out of the wrong direction, I guess, for Lake Michigan. So it was pretty choppy on Saturday. Couldn't get out on a boat that day, unfortunately. But there's really not a whole lot else that you can really do out here, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you can go to a park or you can sit outside at a, a bar or a restaurant or something, a couple of friends if you want. But as I kind of talked about when I was in Mexico... I want to be more active and just sitting around and drinking or sitting around and eating while, you know, it's nice to be able to be with your friends or whatever. It's not something I'm trying to do much more of these days, especially after all of the eating and drinking I did out in Mexico. I guess it was probably more drinking. I mean, I was, I was quite a bender I was on there for a while, so I need to kind of throttle back on all of that. Actually, Friday night we were out, uh, we were just anchored after we we brought the sailboat in, my buddy's sailboat, we were just anchored at at Monroe Harbor and we we were just just drinking on the boat and having a good time. Man, once we decided to leave, for some reason, uh, a friend of mine and this girl that he was with decided to hop on these divvy bikes, which those, I, I don't know if they only exist in Chicago or not, but they're like, you know, these bikes that you can rent, they just have them sitting out on bike racks throughout the city and you can just rent them and, and take them wherever you want. And then you just drop them at one of the designated locations. And man, the, this poor girl wiped out on this divvy bike for the life of me. I still don't know why they decided to divvy. Uh, clearly, they were not um, thinking straight due to their inebriated state, but they ended up spending the night in the hospital. I think she sublexed her shoulder when she fell. So that is uh, that was too bad, but I came out of it unscathed. Usually, I'm the one popping my shoulder out of the socket, but not this time. So I, uh, I, I feel for her. I hope she's doing all right. I definitely know that pain, and it's not fun, but for once, it was not me 
separating my shoulder. It was uh, some other poor girl. But that was the only casualty of the weekend that I know of. And we were, we were making fun of my buddy because he spent more time in the hospital since this lockdown began than anybody even with COVID, like he, he didn't have COVID, but he had some other like bowel obstruction or something like that, that put him in the hospital for like a week back in March. And then right after he got out, he got hit by a car on his motorcycle and he was right back in. And then he had, he spent a few months in Montana, came back and he got to spend last night in there. At least, at least it wasn't him that got hurt, but it was definitely his fault because I know he's such an idiot that, that it was his idea to hop on those bikes instead of taking an Uber or something. Let that be a lesson to all of you uh, knuckleheads out there. Don't try to hop on a bike after you've been drinking for like six or seven hours. It will not end well. I remember that happened to somebody in high school. Uh, a friend of mine just totally biffed it on his bike. But he, this girl fell on the grass, I guess, and, and dislocated her, or separated her shoulder. This kid did a face plan on the concrete, and he was jacked up. So believe me, it's not worth whatever you're thinking. Just get the Uber, get the Lyft, hop in a cab. Don't ride the bike, kids. Don't ride the bike drunk. It is never going to work out well. It's your uh, public service announcement from the Pedaling Fiction podcast for this week. Anyway, so yeah, I'm trying to be more active, and I'd like to find some more things that I can do that are compliant with all the uh, coronavirus nonsense that are a little more fulfilling than <laughs> than uh, just sort of sitting in a park or something like that. But um, yeah, normally I'd be playing softball right now. There's talk of flag football starting up, but I, I don't think I'm going to partake in that this year. I, I always have fun playing flag football, but it's <laughs> the risk to reward just isn't there for me anymore. I'm getting a, a little older. I've seen a lot of people just sort of blow out their their knees and have like suffered some pretty major injuries, um, and to. To tear like your MCL, ACL, and meniscus in a co-ed flag football league at 35, to me, it just doesn't seem worth it, especially if they're going to make you wear a stupid mask while you play and all of that. So I, I don't know. We only have about maybe a, a month less left of summer if we're lucky. I mean, it starts getting a little nippy around here toward the end of September, which is when, oh, Jesus Christ, my birthday's coming up. I'm only going to be 35 for another uh, what, 25 days or so. Whew. Um, so there's that. See, so yeah, I'm trying to trying to be a little more active. So I, I like sailing. I like doing things out on the water. I, I, I do like to play sports, but I don't know. I'll probably get peer pressured into playing again. Um, I, I don't like to, to really brag about myself too much, as you all know, but I am fairly, I, I'm a pretty good athlete. Um, I, I am undersized for most sports, but I, I'm very fast, very quick. I got good hands. So I, flag football is, uh, is something that I excel at as well as softball. So I am uh, highly pursued or recruited for a lot of those things. And I generally have trouble saying no to people <laughs> uh, when it comes to those things. So I don't know, maybe I'm just I'm thinking about just going back to Mexico until like Thanksgiving. You know, right now, maybe things will change in the next week or so. I have a, a couple of uh, personal things that are sort of up in the air right now. But if, if those um, if those don't change, I'm not seeing a big reason for me to 
hang around here for for the next couple of months so yeah if the place is available i i might go down there for a much longer period of time if i do do that i will bring my entire equipment setup you know it's not going to be just like uh, i'm on vacation for two months or whatever it would be i would bring everything down and it would be business as usual as far as you guys are concerned i would just be in a, in a much better environment as far as i'm concerned for uh for, for the next couple of months. I don't know the likelihood of that is. I will uh, keep you guys apprised of that. But it would be really great <laughs> from, my, from my perspective. I would have to come back for Thanksgiving for family obligations. Yeah, and I guess I might want to hang around here for my birthday as well. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe late September, early October, I would go back for another uh, two months or so. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. It's, um, it's, it's definitely a possibility. You know, I'm getting to an age where a, a lot of my friends are getting married, having kids. Actually, congratulations to my buddy Dave out in DC, he just, um, he had a baby girl, beautiful, healthy baby girl on Saturday. I'm very happy for him and, and his lovely wife. He, he's, he's been a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, since, oof. I mean, all, all of my friends, I have a very close circle of friends, you know, I like eight to 10 people that I've known for, Almost my entire life, if not my entire life. I've probably known Dave since like third grade or something like that. We, we go way, way back and I probably owe him a phone call now that I think about it, even though I uh, rarely pick up the telephone. I, I think that would probably warrant it. You guys know that I hate talking on the phone. But yeah, so I'm getting to an age where a, a lot of my friends are either married or they're getting married and they have kids or they're, or they're working on their kids. We're, we're all sort of, um, we're, we're getting into our own thing. And especially with the, the lockdowns and the, the coronavirus and all this weird stuff that's going on, it's harder to get together with people. So the ones that I, I can go out and, and still have a good time with, I can, um, I can just bring them out to Mexico or whatever for, uh, for a a long weekend or something like that and I have I've made some some pretty good friends out there as well over the years yeah what what, what I'm really worried about is the winter here like I don't know what is gonna go on in the winter in Chicago with everything like closed down you can't go indoors nobody really likes to really go outside in the winter <laughs> you know it's not like you're gonna be out in the park when it's 30 degrees below zero that's also kind of weighing on my mind I don't know what people are going to be doing. Like, it's not, <laughs> I don't want to get the impression that I don't have any friends or anything like that, but it's just tough to get people. It's getting tougher to get people together. And then with the added like lockdowns and everything and um, regulations on how many people can gather, that gets more difficult. The friends of mine that are, that I've met, you know, outside of my really close group of friends, you know, the, the people that you know, I play sports with or uh, that I've met through work or whatever. We always have a, a few gatherings or something like that throughout the, the winter to kind of keep things interesting, some happy hours and things like that. It's just not, nobody's going to work. Nobody's at the office. So there there is no happy hour and the bars aren't really open. I don't think you can. I don't know. If, I actually don't know what the situation is in Chicago anymore whether or not that you can actually go in to a bar and drink. Um, they might have to change that once the winter comes. But I, as far as I know, I think you have to have some outdoor 
area or at least be able to open up the front of the restaurant to get some airflow in there. I could be wrong about that, though. I have not been out and about in Chicago for several months, so maybe things have gotten a little better. I doubt it. Yeah, you know, things are just looking kind of bleak heading into the end of the year which is sad, you know? I mean, there's you do have the holidays and I'm going to be getting together with with some family for Thanksgiving and Christmas and actually my sister's taking a, a road trip down from Portland, so she's coming in in the middle of September for her birthday. And so I'm going to get to see her for the first time since uh, probably Christmas. And and that'll be nice. I got her a couple bottles of mezcal that I brought back, uh, her favorite mezcal from Mexico, to give her as a birthday gift. So that should be fun. But it, it's just looking kind of bleak from a social standpoint going into the winter here. And it, it's depressing me. I, I don't know. I, I uh, <laughs> All the news is depressing me as well. Like all the stuff I'm going to talk about. On, on today's podcast is kind of depressing. Like things are just getting worse politically, socially, all the social unrest we're seeing. We had a bunch more shootings and things like that, and more looting going on. And I, I expect a lot of that to stop once the, the winter hits, at least here in the, the Midwest. But we all spent our spring and most of our summer under this lockdown. Now, I've been disobeying the lockdown for a very long time. And for the last uh, month and month and a half almost, I was definitely out and about. But <laughs> here in Chicago, especially for like nine months out of the year, you kind of have to hunker down. Like you still go out and do things. I don't know if we'll be able to do the things that we normally go out and do in the winter. It, it just feels like we're we've been locked down for the the one part of the year where we should be out all of the time. And we, we should be having like huge barbecues and parties and, and going to the beach and everything like that. And they've been trying to keep us tamped down. And then the winter is going to come and we're going to tamp ourselves down because it's the winter. I don't know. I just don't have a very optimistic look for the rest of the year. And that, uh, that, that saddens me a little bit. It's certainly going to be harder to get people to get together and it'll be less frequent. I guess I suppose the silver lining would be I'd have a lot more time to work on the podcast, which I do need to, I, I really need to kick that into gear. There's a lot of stuff that I've, that's on my list of to do for the show that I'd like to get done to make sure our listener base is still growing, get out some more content. I, I do want to get some video going eventually, although that's looking like it's going to be a little farther down the road than I had initially anticipated. Oh, and I do have to apologize. I don't know if anybody that listened to the last episode tried to go to my website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com, to perhaps donate to the show or sign up for the uh, weekly newsletter. The site was down. I think it went down on Friday. And I didn't, you know, I don't check the site Every day, but Justin, who uh, has been handling a lot of the the social media stuff, the YouTube channel, and everything like that, and putting out some great shareable content for you guys, he he notified me probably Friday afternoon when I was out sailing that the site was down. I, I actually I forgot until I think Sunday morning 
that he had told me that. But what happened was at the beginning of July, the hosting contract, I had introductory deal for hosting and that, that expired and they wanted me to, to sign up for like another three year or five year thing. And I didn't want to commit to that sort of um, time period. So I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with this hosting company or, or what's going to happen down the line. So I, I had them switch it to a month to month thing. I don't know, whoever was working on it on the other end to switch the uh, billing, set the renewal to manual renewal. So every month I'd actually have to go in there and manually renew the hosting subscription. And I, I got an email from them when I was in Mexico or just right after I got back from Mexico. And I was very behind on all of my emails. It said like your payment had been processed or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's my my new monthly payment. I'll get one of those. But I didn't actually read the email. And I think it was for some other function within the hosting thing. Like it wasn't for the actual hosting. It was for like a security feature or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, apparently they did not automatically renew the hosting for the month. And so they just shut the site down. So if I, I do apologize for those of you who tried to go to the site, it is now back up and running and it is, it will automatically renew every month. So I should not have that sort of problem. So if you did want to contribute to the show financially to help um, support the show and help me create content, increase our reach, run some advertising campaigns, things like that, you guys know that my promise to you is that I don't pocket any of the the donations that come in. I, I, I put the money right back into the show to try to get this thing really, really off the ground. But yeah, so go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com to do that. And there there's several different ways for you to contribute to the show monetarily. If you can, that's great. That's one of the ways that this show survives. But I really just ask that you guys listen and that you share the show. It's always going to be free. I, I will ask for donations. And if you can, that's great. If you can't or you don't feel like it, that's great too. Maybe uh, you can uh, support one of our sponsors if, if they have something that you want. And I am looking for more sponsors as well. So if you know somebody that has a product or a, a company that they're trying to get some advertising for, you can have them email me, peddling at peddlingfictionpodcast.com, and maybe we can work something out there. And I guess now is as good a time as ever to introduce our brand new sponsor that I'm very excited to have for the show, and that is Photo IQ. It's an online digital photography class where photography is explained simply, concisely, with no jargon, no overcomplications. This guy's got lessons for the beginner or the intermediate photographer for anybody that's 13 years or older. You can get complete semester-length courses for homeschoolers by a homeschooler. It's the only photography course of its kind. It's more in-depth than any high school or even college freshman photography course. And it's just perfect for the type of distance learning that everyone's being subject to. Guys, if you're interested in photography, you got to check this guy out. PhotoIQ.co and use the promo code FICTION. You'll get 10% off your order, but he's already offering 20% off until October 
1st. So if you go there before October 1st and you use the promo code FICTION, you will get 30% off of any of the courses that he's offering. It's an incredible deal. And there's no time limit or uh, subscription service or anything like that that you need to do. You can buy the courses now and you can take them whenever you want at your own pace. There's no ads. There's no nothing. So make sure you get that uh, that done before October 1st so you can take full advantage of the discount. If you're not happy with the product for whatever reason, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose. If you have a, a business or a personal side gig, you need to have good photography and artwork it's the first thing that catches people's eyes, and this guy can help you out with that. He can help you out with all of your photography needs. The students start out at camera basics and progress through multiple genres to help build the skills that they've learned while learning an appreciation of art history and different styles. Modules include camera basics, still life and food, landscapes, portraits, black and white, and action. And let's face it, we all love taking pictures. Most of us are terrible at it. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION to get 30% off if you get there before October 1st. All right. We need to get into the uh, the nitty-gritty here. I know we left off last week. I did a, an episode on Thursday, which was the last night of the uh, Republican National Convention, and we were awaiting the, the big speech from Donald Trump. I did have a, a few thoughts on that. I just thought that overall, and I, I, I definitely paid a lot more attention to the Republican National Convention than I did the Democrat National Convention, simply because I was on vacation in Mexico while the DNC was going on, and there was just no goddamn way I was going to waste a, a lot of my precious vacation time on that. But since I've been back in Chicago, I had a lot more time to dedicate to the RNC. But the impression that I got was that the Republicans did a much better job of putting on like an actual convention that didn't feel as virtual and, and just bizarre. If you remember when I was talking about the Democrat convention, it seemed very weird to me, like futuristic and 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 uh, just way too virtual, and everything was pre-recorded. The the Republicans seemed to do a much better job of of making it look more official, more like a normal convention. I don't know if that. I mean, that doesn't really matter to someone like me, or perhaps listeners like you. But I, I think to the general public, that will play a lot better. And Trump's speech, especially was a lot better than Biden's, I must say. And not that like Donald Trump's this great order or anything like that. Um, I don't really care for his cadence as much when he does the the um, rehearsed scripted speeches. He's he's much better to me when he's just going off the cuff, like, r you know, riffing and ranting and, and ripping on the media and things like that. But as far as his speech went, was a lot better than Biden's. And just the, the environment it was in, you know, it was in front of the White House. He had a crowd. Um, it wasn't this pre-recorded thing on a video screen with like a fake crowd or anything like that. There were actually people there. He's surrounded by all this presidential stuff, all this pomp and circumstance. So it just looked a lot better. He spoke for an hour and 10 minutes, which is a very goddamn long time. 
to speak. I mean, take it from me. I've done a couple of podcasts that have lasted that long, and it's pretty hard to talk for an hour and 10 minutes. And Biden's speech was like 25 minutes, which, I mean, was still a miracle for Biden to get through that. But I just thought that that Trump's speech, as far as his speech could have gone, I, I, I thought it was pretty good. He did a very good job of making an emotional appeal to Republicans and I think to just normal Americans with the whole juxtaposition between what the Democrats' message was and what the Republicans' message was. It seemed like the the Democrats are just removed from reality. They were talking about an America that to most normal, uh, healthy, you know, minded people doesn't exist like they're they're living in this bizarro world this racist dystopian america from like 80 years ago though the ones that they're describing is actually worse than it was in like you know the jim crow or something like that um or at least they're equating it to that which that doesn't resonate with a lot of normal americans at least i don't think it does in my opinion and Donald Trump hit on everything, every topic that's on the minds of most American people right now, and especially all the things that Republicans are fearful of, okay? He didn't get bogged down in policy. He made a bunch of you know vague promises on all the fronts of the things he's going to do, but it was more upbeat. It was, of course, about winning, how great America used to be and how great we can be. It was about all the things we're going to accomplish. You know, we're going to protect America from destruction. We're going to put the first flag on Mars. We're going to put the first woman on the moon. We're going to win the 5G battle. And the, the whole Democrat convention was all negative. It was all America is this racist country with this you know problematic history of oppression and everyone's a victim and you know you have people like Michelle Obama speaking or Kamala Harris that have I mean Michelle Obama was the first lady of the first black president she's worth tens of millions of dollars she's got a huge Netflix deal she's got book deals she's living in like a 10 million dollar house in Martha's Vineyard and they're talking about how they're oppressed and they're victims. And the people they're talking to, the people that Kamala Harris is is talking, she's giving the woe is me speech, life was so difficult because I was a, a black woman and, and all this stuff. The people she's talking to are light years away from where she is in terms of successes in life. I just don't feel like that's resonating with a lot of normal Americans. At least it shouldn't. You should be looking up there. Their message should be the exact opposite. It should be an uplifting one. It should be, look at all this stuff that I was able to overcome. And if I can do it, you can do it. Not like, oh, the, the whole world's against you. The system's rigged against you. You won't be able to get ahead unless you put people like me in charge. And then we can take stuff from the people who have been oppressing you and give it and give it to you kind of thing. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous, the, their message to, to the people. Like the people they're talking to are making 35 grand a year, if that. They have $60,000 in student loans. And 
they're they're standing up there wearing a, a fucking you know four thousand dollar suit, making two hundred and fifty grand a year as a politician or something like that, or they've already banked twenty to forty million dollars. They get two hundred thousand dollars for a speech, and they're 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 trying to pitch the the victim card. They tried to spin the Republicans as having this very dark message or something, at least initially, but. Everything that I heard the the DNC talk about was things like we need to tear the the whole system down and rebuild in an America and and take back the soul and you know make sure that these racists don't get control of it or the white supremacy this and white supremacy that I just don't see that resonating with the vast majority of America. I know it plays well to. The, the the radical left and people like out and out on the coasts you know new york and california but all of the america in between i think the 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 message of donald trump the message of the republicans is is a little more palatable like i mentioned on the the last podcast and uh, other you know libertarians have talked about the democrats didn't talk about any of the violence that's been going on none of the riots none of the protests none of like the the uh the impeachment process or the the whole like russia gate none of that really came up in their convention they were just talking about racism the whole time. I, I just don't think that people, most people in America think that America is as racist as they want it to be. That's why we have all of these made up, um, you know, hate crimes and things, the Jesse Smollett's of the world, because the demand for racism doesn't meet the supply. That's why we had the whole... Um, you know, the, the Republicans trotted out that kid that um, the Covington kid that sued is it CNN for for like a, a, a huge settlement because they, they, they lied about that story. They are painting a very different picture of America from what I can tell. And I thought Donald Trump did a good job of making sure that America knew that uh, if the if the Democrats get control, they're going to ruin the country, right? They're going to demolish the suburbs. They're going to take away your guns. They're a Trojan horse for socialism. All of these Democrat-run cities are in shambles. There's homelessness everywhere. There's violence everywhere. And if Joe Biden wins and the Democrats take over, that's exactly what's going to happen to the rest of the country. Okay, he touched on, you know, cancel culture, speech codes, free speech on campuses, conformity, forced conformity, attacks on public safety, cutting police funding, all of these things that are not very, uh, they're not politically popular among the vast majority of Americans. I mean, most normal Americans are looking at cities being burned down to the ground and homeless uh, camps being put up throughout downtown LA and things like that. And they don't want the rest of the country to look like that. Now, whether or not you know, that's going to, you know, what Donald Trump is saying is true or not, like that he's going to prevent that from happening and that and that Biden would exacerbate those problems that that's irrelevant okay it's it, it's more about the the imagery and the emotion of the argument and it's going to hit closer to home with people because those are the things that are on people's mind 
more so than what the Democrats are talking about, you know, and, and they just seem to be more pressing issues. Like if your city is burning or you're living right outside Kenosha or something and there are rioters that are uh, uh, like threatening to beat down your door, that's a more pressing issue than, you know, the gender pay gap or uh, microaggressions or something like that. He definitely seemed to be more in tune with the normal, the vast majority of people in the country, normal everyday Americans, and covering more than just one or two issues. And they're, they're, they're big issues. There's is, they're issues that scare people, that threaten their safety, their livelihood. They're more pressing issues. And he talked about how Biden's plans are to raise taxes. He's going to cut taxes. He's going to put tariffs on companies that, that leave America and try to take jobs abroad. And he talked about how Biden's agenda is going to hurt the economy and help China. It's going to increase your cost of living, increase energy prices. And Trump's agenda, of course, is going to help America, right? Now, that was, in my opinion, the least compelling part of his speech. And it's all bullshit. Both of their agendas are going to destroy America just at different paces. You know, the the old uh, Michael Malice saying that uh, conservatives are uh, progressives driving the speed limit. All of these policies, all of Donald Trump's policies are going to increase taxes in the long run. You can't not cut government and cut taxes and expect to um, th- that to work out. You're just going to blow huge budget deficits, which just means that taxes are going to have to go up one way or another in the future. But it all sounds good to people. People would rather pay less in taxes than pay more in taxes. And then he talked about, you know, Biden's got this this whole policy platform. It's like 110 pages or something like that. I think he called it the, the Biden-Bernie manifesto, which just reminded us that the agenda of the far left, open borders, free health care for illegal immigrants and all this stuff, you know, free college, free everything. While it sounds good and it appeals to like college kids and things like that, those are not politically popular positions. And I don't think that getting bogged down in policy and ta- and pointing to your policies is what matters in this election. I mean, policy rarely matters in an election, okay? People vote emotionally. We all make decisions emotionally, and especially in this political climate and this social climate, policy doesn't fucking matter. I don't care if you have the best plan in the world. This is about, I hate Donald Trump, so I'm voting for Biden, or I hate, you know, Antifa, and and the, and the Democrats, so I'm voting for Trump, or I love Trump and I'm voting for Trump. I mean, very few people actually love Biden or are passionate about Biden or anything like that. So th- this is all about emotion. And I have an article here. This was an op-ed that I came across that was just, I, I, think, I don't think it could be any more wrong <laughs> uh, in their assessment of the, the RNC and, and just the, the whole election coming forward. It says, for the first time in 160 years, this is from thehour.com, it's an opinion piece. For the first time in 160 years, the Republican Party failed to produce a policy platform. Big mistake, especially in 2020. And it's by Jared Bernstein of the Washington Post. And just right there, you're, you're wrong. 
it's not a big mistake. Okay. You don't want, you don't need a policy platform. Nobody wants to get bogged down in policy nonsense. It's too confusing. It's too overwhelming. You want to make an emotional plea. And I think that the Democrats, to their credit, did do a good job of making emotional arguments as well that play better to their base. I just don't think that their vision of America resonates with as many Americans as Trump's does. Now, I could be wrong about that, but um, the polling numbers are starting to suggest that I am correct. But anyway, to the op-ed here, among the many different things about the uh, the election this year is the Republican National Committee, for the first time since 1856, did not bother to come up with a policy platform. Instead, according to the New York Times, they passed a resolution renewing what delegates en- enacted in 2016, bashing the news media and offering wholehearted support for Mr. Trump. The Washington Post editorialized that the move was an implicit announcement by Republicans that they stand for nothing. The policy section in Mike Pence's speech, the part where he bragged against all evidence about how well the administration handled the coronavirus, claimed that America is a nation of miracles. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, on the other hand, has a page on his website containing 46 detailed policy papers. And uh, this is in parentheses. I was Joe Biden's chief economist from 2009 to 2011 when he was vice president. Along with a detailed national plan for virus control, there are plans for manufacturing jobs, child and elder care, clean energy, affordable housing, health care, and much, much more. The Democrat platform covers those areas, too. To my knowledge, none of these plans depend on miracles. Well, then your knowledge is wrong because all of their plans depend on miracles. And all who cares about all of these plans? Nobody is going to Joe Biden's website and reading his detailed plan. They don't care. This is all about emotion. This is all about hating Donald Trump or hating Joe Biden. And you can tell this guy, he's like, he admits he's bullish on Biden's agenda and you know, while you might not share his enthusiasm, the the pandemic has infected almost six million Americans and killed nearly one hundred eighty thousand of them. Unemployment at ten point two percent percent remains above its peak during the last recession. And Hurricane Laura reminded us that global warming is increasing intensity of tropical storms. And police shot another Black American, leading to more righteous outrage and protests. Listen, I haven't seen polling numbers on this recently in terms of who is like more pro coronavirus and anti coronavirus but just those numbers like oh it sounds that sounds bad 6 million people have been infected and almost 180,000 of them have been killed now i've gone over ad nauseum how ridiculous the the death numbers are and even the case numbers right how meaningless these numbers are but even if you take those at face value that is, uh, so 180,000 of the 6 million infected, that is 3% of the population uh, of known virus infections have died of the coronavirus. And we all know that that number is complete bullshit. And if you look at the demographics and the age number of people, like the, the median age, the average age of the person dying from coronavirus is, is between like 70 something and 80 something. You know, probably the average age of people dying anyway. Okay, like people die when they get that old. And then you you, you throw in the fact that they think that 
they're only catching like a tenth of the people that have actually contracted the disease. So that shreds that 3% number way down. And then if you take 6 million people, take it at face value, out of the 331 million that live in the U.S., that's less than 2% of the population. So they can argue that, you know, Donald Trump's failure to control the coronavirus as if it's all on his shoulders and not the CDC or anything like that, or like he should have closed the border soon enough, even though when he tried to close the border to China, they called him like a fascist or whatever. Try to make that argument. You can say you have a better plan or anything like that, but we've literally destroyed the country for a, a virus that's infected 2% of the population, maybe a little more than that that you know that is that are asymptomatic and haven't been tested or anything like that. that that does not kill young people at all they've shut down the economy they've destroyed people's lives their their businesses i just don't think that's going to be a very effective tool to hit donald trump with i like i said i haven't seen the polling numbers on that but i have seen the polling numbers that have come out since the republican national convention they're they're turning big league for donald trump big league you know you always get a, a bump after your your convention donald trump actually got a bump after the democrat national <laughs> convention which that rarely happens but the poll numbers for Trump are completely reversing. I mean, Rasmussen just put out a national poll that shows the, the lead between Joe Biden is just two points. It's 49 to 47 now. Man, it, it was, I forget how, I think he was up like 16 points at some, at, at some point. I, I forget when that was. But for the first time since he's taken office, Donald Trump's approval rating is approaching a majority at 49% approval and 47% disapproval. It's a jump of four points since July, where he was at 45-51. Other polls had him ahead by nine points before last week's riots. And then you have the, the betting odds, which at one point, if you go back just a month ago, was about the 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 biggest discrepancy. It was over. Joe Biden had more than a sixty percent chance of winning, according to uh, the the real clear politics betting odds. And Donald Trump's chance of winning were like uh, like thirty seven percent or something like that. They're now almost at fifty fifty. It's like fifty two forty eight. Uh, fifty point six forty nine point seven. That that's where they are right now. Whether or not you believe these polls, I'm far more inclined to believe that they're distorted in Trump's favor as they were the, the first time Trump ran than they're distorted in Biden's favor. I, I don't know. I haven't heard a compelling argument for why the, the polls wouldn't reflect um, Biden accurately, but they would reflect Trump accurately. I, I don't know. But man, you can just, there, there's a lot, like I said a, a few episodes ago, it seems like the Democrats are doing everything they can to lose this election. And I think if the conventions were any indication, it didn't look like the DNC ha had much you know, they didn't have a lot of umph behind it. You know, it was just kind of flat. It was delusional, in my opinion. The Republican one had a lot more gusto behind it, a lot more energy, and was at least more grounded in reality. Now, of course, every time Donald Trump bragged about his political accomplishments and how he had the strongest economy the world had ever seen, that's all bullshit. 
that that's that's all a bunch of nonsense and he talked about how he's building wall like 10 feet of wall every day or something like that that's all just a bunch of crap the overarching message though i think was more appealing and the, just the the performance i mean politics is a performance it's it's all pomp and circumstance that's how you get people energized and involved and just like you do with any other type of religion or something like that and and i think they did a much better job of that than the Democrats did. And it's no surprise. I mean, Donald Trump is a branding and marketing genius, whether or not, you know, you like the guy or you hate the guy. You have to admit that he's pretty good at branding, personal branding and marketing. And I think the, the Republicans did a much better job of that than the Democrats did. And I think that's starting to reflect in the polls. And they haven't even had a debate yet. And we know that Joe Biden's going to try to get out of these debates, as I mentioned on the last show. But their their argument for doing so, at least right now, is pretty pathetic. Like, we can't legitimize the sitting president with a, a debate because, you know, he's he's not worthy of it or something like that, which is just nobody's going to buy that for a second. So I am, you know, I have gone back and forth. I still don't know how to handicap this one. I, I don't have a prediction yet for who I think is going to win this election. But it's starting to look like the tides are turning for Donald Trump. He can certainly, he, he has a lot of, of scapegoats that he can blame for the problems. And there's just a lot of really unpopular things happening throughout the country that the Democrats aren't addressing. All of this mob violence is just, it's getting really out of control. And people, like I said, are, are very tired of this. Most normal people do not want to live in fear for their lives. We saw a video of Rand Paul being attacked as he was leaving the White House. Okay, we've seen people being harassed by mobs while they're just trying to sit outside and eat. They're being accosted by people, demanding that they salute them. All of this crap that's going on. Of course, the level of hypocrisy on the left is on full display once again. You know, these are the, the same people that complain about microaggressions and safe spaces, misgendering somebody, using the wrong pronouns, silence is violence. Those are, of course, the worst possible offenses ever. And now we actually have them actively engaging in violence, pretty much like terrorism by the de- by the true definition of terrorism like violence and intimidation to achieve a political end and they're they're justifying it they're praising it and of course you know now that the polling has collapsed for for Joe Biden he's finally come out and acknowledged that these riots existed even though they had 4 days to do it during their their um the Democratic National Convention they they finally come out and there's that you know that clip that probably everybody's seen of Don Lemon talking about how they need to start addressing these riots because the polling numbers are are coming way down and they they typically of course he comes out and he blames it on uh Trump all of the violence is on is on Trump's doorstep because it's happening under Trump's watch there might be something there i mean we certainly would have less people upset if Donald Trump wasn't president and i mentioned that on the last episode but the problem with his you know condemnation of these protests of these riots was that he didn't really address it at all i think he said 
you know, he didn't come out, he didn't single out Antifa or, or the Black Lives Matter rioters or anything like that. It was just this sort of milk toast violence of every kind by anyone, whether on the left or the right, is, is wrong. You know, I'm against that. And, and that just leaves Trump another opening because, you know, like he's, he mentioned in his State of the Union address, he addressed, you know, he or State of the Union address. It sounded like a State of the Union address, like he uh, mentioned in his uh, pub, uh, his RNC speech that the, the Democrats want to to let the anarchists, the thugs, and these agitators, Antifa, these terrorists take over and destroy your cities. And, and Joe Biden, like begrudgingly, is just like, "Yeah, violence is bad." Oh, okay. It reminded me a lot of. When during the uh, Obama presidency, where he wouldn't refer to radical Islamic terrorism, like he just wouldn't say it. He'd come up with some other euphemism or he would just not really address it at all. And you just you leave yourself open to to very obvious criticism. So it's like, well, if you can't even say the name or if you can't really identify who's doing, you know, which groups are doing the most, uh, you know, the worst violence or anything like that. How are you going to address the problem kind of thing? And it's it's like pulling teeth to get anybody to criticize at this Black Lives Matter movement, no matter how much damage they do to cities or how many innocent people they attack or anything like that. It, that, that all it all gets glossed over. Nobody really wants to address it. They'll do like an obligatory, vague, yeah, violence is bad kind of thing. But, you know, it's almost giving it like a wink and a nod, like, yeah, I just have to say this. I don't really care about that. What we really care about is these white supremacists over there, all like 200 of them. And I think you're you're going to lose, like he could lose mainstream, like centrist Democratic voters by being so quiet on the subject, by being like, it's almost like a tacit approval of what's going on, or like you're afraid to address it. And if you're afraid to address it, maybe you don't condone it, but if you're afraid to address it, how are you going to stop it? And maybe that's a thought that a lot of people are going to have. Um, but so you have this, you know, this juxtaposition. You have Donald Trump, who's offering aid to to the cities that are being destroyed, and he's getting rejected. And then you have people like Kamala Harris and these other Democrats that are supporting the people that are bailing out rioters so that they can go out and do some more damage. And and now the polls are collapsing for Biden. And so Biden comes out and blames Trump for all the violence, even though Trump's out there saying that, hey, I'm here to stop all the violence. You just have to let me come in and do it. And none of them will let them come in and do it. So that's going to be a tough argument to make, I think, for for the rational America, if there is anybody left in that camp. Anyway, we had a, a Trump supporter that was that was gunned down in the streets following the the shooting uh in Kenosha and I did have some more thoughts on that that I want to get into but first let's take a second and thank our other sponsor for today's show and that is of course Lorenzotti Coffee our friends over at lorenzotti.coffee have been kind enough to give you 10% off your order if you use the promo code FICTION of premium Italian coffee and Italian coffee brewing supplies delivered right to your door. These are two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that came together through their love of coffee and their inability to find a decent cup of joe here in the United States. 
So if you, too, struggle with that problem, or you don't feel like throwing on your mask and standing in a socially distanced line out in front of Starbucks to get, you know, a haphazardly brewed cup of coffee by some uh, college graduate with a gender studies degree, go to lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I. Dot coffee promo code fiction will get you 10% off your premium Italian coffee. They'll send it right to your door. And if you order at least two tins, you'll get free shipping. So you'd be crazy not to do that. Lorenzotti.coffee promo code fiction. All right. So I, I think we have two very different types of shootings that took place uh, last week. And I think it was over the weekend. I mentioned the Kenosha shooting, the the one with the 17-year-old kid on the last episode. I didn't really go into too much detail about it because I hadn't um I, I was sort of waiting for more of the the facts to sort of play out on this. But from all of the the video that I've seen and the reporting on it. Now he shot 3 people, right? Two of them died. One of them was hit in the arm pretty severely. He survived. We we don't have, I don't believe there was any video of the first shooting. There's just uh, reports that there was a confrontation between him and some guy in a, in front of a, a car lot of a, a car dealership or something like that. And maybe something was thrown at the, um, at the kid that had the rifle. There, there might've been, uh, an altercation where this guy tried to go for the gun or something like that. I, I believe that's what is claimed in the report. Now, there, there's no video of that or anything like that, but that guy got shot in the head and he's dead. And then after that happened, we have video of the 17-year-old kid being chased down the street by a, a mob of people. He trips and falls, and then a, a couple of these these rioters tried try to um, attack him. Now, one cracks him over the head with a skateboard, and this kid, I mean, you could tell that this kid really knew how to handle himself. For for being 17, he he really had great control of, of his weapon and, and just um, of his faculties. I mean, after getting cracked in the head with a skateboard, he, he get you know, he, he rolls over, shoots that guy in the chest, and then there's another guy, that that's sort of um, about to attack him, and then he pauses, and they both kind of pause, and they sit there, and then the 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 protester who has a gun in his hand starts to to lunge towards him, and that's when he shoots that guy in the arm. Now he you know as far as I know, he fired three shots, and he hit three people, and it did not seem like he was the you know he's being made out to be this like white supremacist you know, a uh, mass shooter or whatever in, in left-wing circles. Uh, now, he was not indiscriminately shooting people, okay? He shot the the people that attacked him, uh, at least from the video that we saw. There were two people that tried to attack him. Those were the only two people he shot. Those That, to me, is a clear case of self-defense. Uh, you know, we don't know what happened in, in the first shooting, but if it was anything like the, those first two, you know, the, the the charges that they're bringing against him, which is like first degree aggravated murder or something like that. I forget exactly the, the language that they used. I think that's going to be hard to prove, but it, it just goes to show you that there's a lot there's a lot there. Right. Because you have 
all of these people who are not involved in the the rioting and the looting and the the arson and and just attacking random uh civilians for no reason that are getting very harsh charges brought down on them by the state and they get very harsh treatment by the police right they're charging that couple for defending their property just by standing out in front of it with with a gun because you know they pointed it in a threatening way while while people were were protesting they are arresting people for opening their businesses you know all all the, all the while these these rioters are who who do get arrested are released the next day we have all of this militarized police force that just sit back and let businesses get destroyed and, unless of course you know the rioters start going after politicians right if they go to a politician's block or they're going to go attack a, a, a government building or something, then they'll step in and start cracking skulls. But if it's just, you know, regular everyday civilians, the, the taxpayers, Joe Sixpack's property, they're, they're nowhere to be found. They're going to sit back and let things like this happen where you have now like 17-year-old kids going out there and trying to defend other people's property. And look, th- this kid shouldn't have been there. Um, I, I could understand defending your own property with you know from from violence with violence going to someone else's you know aid going to you know driving i don't know that he crossed state lines or whatever is a big argument now against him i'll get into that in a second but um going through all of that to defend somebody else's property I don't, I don't get that. I don't think that's a very good idea, especially people you don't really know. Like I get that it's, you know, it was like 20 minutes from where he lives or something, which is not far when you live out in the suburbs or anything like that. So yes, of course, I don't think he should have been there and he shouldn't have been, especially by himself trying to be Rambo. Like it's dumb to go out and and try to do these things thinking you're going to, you know, protect everybody, but neither the protesters shouldn't be there either. Uh, I call them protesters. The rioters and the looters shouldn't be there either, burning things down, destroying people's property. So neither of them should be there. So yeah, like I don't think this uh, Kyle Rittenhouse kid had any business being over there defending property that wasn't his. But at the same time, all of these rioters had no business being over there destroying property that wasn't theirs. So, I mean, those kind of cancel each other out as far as I'm concerned. Um, And and it's more about was there an imminent threat being posed to to his life that resulted in him firing? And, yeah, it's dumb to to arm arm up and put yourself in that situation because there is a very good chance that you will have to use that weapon at some point. And they gave him a very good reason to use it, at least in that second video. But you know what's even dumber than going out there with a rifle and trying to protect other people's property? Is being the guy attacking the guy with a rifle and you have a skateboard. That is also very dumb. And, you know, if they had managed to actually kill this kid, this wouldn't have even been a news story. Like if the situation had been reversed and this kid was out there with a rifle and they somehow managed to clock him with the skateboard and hospitalize him or kill him or something, it wouldn't have even made the news. You would have seen video of it on Twitter or something like that, but it would not have become a major news story. There is no doubt about that in my mind. The news is so corrupt. They're still calling these mostly peaceful protests. And my God, are the memes just 
unbelievably hilarious and savage, but they, they, they truly are the enemy of the people, mostly peaceful protests as things burn down in the background. They've even changed. They got caught changing the, the headline on, on CNN. They, they referred to them as violent protests, and then they quickly retracted that headline and put out the exact same headline without the word violent in front of protests. It really is just unbelievable. And the other thing that I found pretty funny is the, the, the type of people that are at these rallies. I mean, this kid, like I said, he fired three shots. He hit three people and he hit a, a registered sex-offender, a, con- a convicted pedophile, a, a guy who's, who's uh, a, a wife beater, and then an illegally armed felon. <laughs> that, that, that's who he managed to hit. I, 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 just three random people, and those are the, the, the three types of people that are out at these rallies. Uh, rallies, these riots. And then, of course, you have all of these hypocritical people on the left that are complaining because, you know, he was 17 and he was from out of town. He crossed state lines. Um, <laughs> okay. Also, the same people who are they're, they're for open borders. They talk about how all of these, um, these, um, state and, and country borders. They're just lines on a map drawn by politicians. They shouldn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, they're up in arms because he drove like across state lines, which is like the, the state line between Antioch, Illinois, and uh, Wisconsin. It, it, it's, like t- it's like a five-minute drive or something like that. It, it's very close. Go look at a map. And then, of course, you have all of these rioters and looters who are being bussed in from the city of Chicago, from other cities in, uh, in you know, across the the country, all, all of these um, rioters are, are very few of them seem to be from the actual neighborhoods that are being destroyed. And I have an article here: more than half of those arrested during the seven days of Kenosha protests, uh, Kenosha unrests, were from out of town according to the the police chief and the uh, quote unquote largely peaceful protests have continued in Kenosha, Wisconsin every night since Jacob Blake was shot by a local cop while uh, purportedly reaching for a knife hidden in a vehicle. Blake uh, has been reportedly paralyzed from the shots for now, at least while the violence has toned down somewhat since Kyle Rittenhouse, he's the 17 year old allegedly shot three people, killing two of them during a confrontation Tuesday night. He's been charged with first-degree murder. His attorneys are mounting a case of self-defense. Police continued to make arrests Sunday night, seizing guns and other weapons, while also charging some for, for violating curfew and other local orders. Since the demonstration started seven days ago, Kenosha police have arrested 175 people. More than half of them, 102, listed addresses from outside the city. Those arrested and processed were from 44 different cities, according to the Kenosha police. So it's pretty, uh, pretty hilarious to me that they're they're all up in arms that this kid traveled, you know, 30 minutes to uh, these Kenosha riots to, you know, allegedly protect. Uh, other people's property and try to keep the peace but they don't seem to have a problem with rioters coming in from all other all other walks of life to destroy kenosha and like i said we don't have video of the the first altercation at least none that i've seen but we, we have it of the second one and he's clearly trying to avoid more confrontation he's running away and 
he you know pretty hilariously just falls down on his face and and then he's attacked and, and he he shoots the two people that tried to attack him one of which was armed I, I, man first degree murder that that's going to be pretty uh pretty tough to prove in my humble opinion here but then over the weekend i think it might have been saturday but don't quote me on that because i'm still having trouble getting all my days together there was a Trump supporter that was shot and killed. This is this is being celebrated in uh, among the uh, you know Antifa protesters because you know he was a fascist. He deserved to die. Now the the difference that I see between from what I've seen of the coverage of the the Trump supporter being shot and killed and what uh, Rittenhouse did was that I, I didn't see a confrontation taking place with um with the, with the Trump uh, sh- uh supporter. Now the video is not as good as the the ones that we have of Rittenhouse. I've seen a couple different angles of the the Trump supporter being killed, but it it seemed like he was just kind of walking down the street and you can hear people shouting, "Hey, we got one over here. We got one over here." And it looked like this guy just walked up and popped him in the chest, literally just sort of hunted him down and killed him for his political beliefs. Now, there's a big now that first degree murder. I could see that easily. I could see that case being made. Um, I I don't see that the situation with the Kenosha shooter. Um, It's far more obvious to me that the, the Kenosha shooter was there, there was a, a, a case to be made that there was a, an imminent threat to his life where he was, he was forced to, to defend himself. Whereas I don't, I don't see any evidence and, and maybe some will surface, but I, I looked for it today. I watched several videos today, everything that I could find. I don't think there was any evidence of an altercation, any threat of violence from this guy. It was just, Hey, here's a, here's a Trump supporter. Let's go get him. And and they just shot him point blank, and, and then he's dead. And they they do have a suspect. You you saw the guy run away. He was wearing like a white and black uh, sweatshirt or something like that. But man, it th- this stuff really is it, it's starting to reach a tipping point. And I've been talking about this since th- these riots started. Like the only way we're ever going to see an end to this is if people as if the the cops actually step up and do the job that they're supposed to be doing um and they they were surprisingly close like they arrived on the scene of the that Trump supporter being shot with like in less than a minute after the the shooting took place from one angle I saw I mean unless it was edited it looked like right after he went down the cops were like half a block away and then they just rolled up but that that that's what the cops do. They're they're always there to uh, draw the chalk outline around your body and take some notes and uh, write up a report. <laughs> they're they're never there to actually protect anybody. But yeah, this this is getting pretty bad and it's getting pretty scary. And we have some some more evidence here to follow up on the last episode I did of people flaw, uh, fleeing the cities. But until these cops start doing their job and protecting private property, or they allow Donald Trump to come in with uh, the National Guard or something to help out, that's another a big talking point of Donald Trump is that, hey, you know, I'm here. I want to help. I want to stop this, this uh, you know, rioting and looting and all of these Democratic uh, mayors or governors. They're not letting me come into their cities. They're not asking for help. They're actively refusing the help. Um, yeah, the the 
Portland guy and and uh, Kenosha. And so that that's another argument that Donald Trump can use to turn this into a political weapon. But until they either bring in the National Guard to get this stuff under control or the local police force starts doing their job or more people like Kyle Rittenhouse get together and uh, start defending their neighborhoods, I would prefer a you know, a, a, a private, uh, some sort of militia or something to, to a state run or a, like a federal task force or whatever, or the national guard coming in or the military coming in to, to, you know, crack some skulls, but you know, just one person with a gun running out there trying to defend property. There are definitely better ways of doing that. And that, and that's, especially when you're in these smaller communities, like people, could band together they could have training they could have like proper uh protocol and procedures for ways of dealing with these types of situations that would hopefully not result in a lot of people being shot and killed but when you when you're just one 17 year old kid out there things can get out of hand really quickly as i think this kid realized and and uh then things turn south and then it's either you or them and man this kid you got it. You got at least hand it to him. He was uh, he was pretty good. He had pretty good, uh, pretty good control of that gun. He was very selective with, with his shooting, and uh, he was controlled. He was calm. He was uh, he kept his composure. I, I mean, he he was better than most like ninety nine percent of police that I've seen that that have like formal training and how to handle these situations. Uh, if it was a cop, he would have shot everybody within like a uh, 10 block radius. Um, but this guy just went after exactly who was coming after him. And that was it. And no more. So anyway, um, and, until they get this stuff under control, they're, they're going to have a, a really hard time. All these cities are going to have a hard time. And, and as like a follow up to what I talked about on the last episode, you know, we had a very violent weekend again in Chicago. There were 50 people shot. I think 10 were dead. Two officers were shot. Nobody's really talking about that violence, but there's uh, an article here that New Yorkers are fleeing to the suburbs. The demand is insane. Over three days in late July, over three days in late July, the three-bedroom house in East Orange, New Jersey, was listed for sale at 285000 It had 97 showings in three days, received 24 offers, and went for... Uh, under contract for 21% over that asking price. On Long Island, six people made offers on a $499,000 house in Valley Stream without seeing it in person after it was shown on a Facebook Live video. In the Hudson Valley, a near three-acre property with a pool listed for $985,000 received four all-cash bids within a day of having 14 showings. Since the pandemic began, the suburbs around New York City, from New Jersey to Westchester, uh, Westchester County to Connecticut to Long Island, have been experiencing enormous demand for all homes, uh, for homes of all prices, a surge that is unlike any recent memory, according to officials, real estate agents, and residents. In July, there was a 44% increase in home sales from the suburban counties surrounding the city when compared with the previous year. The increase was 112% in Westchester, just north of New York City, and 73% in Fairfield County, Connecticut, just over the state border. At the same time, the number of properties sold in Manhattan plummeted 56%. The suburban demand driven by... Uh, 
New York City residents who are able to work remotely while offices are closed raises unsettling questions about how fast the city will be able to recover from the pandemic. It is an exodus that analysts say is reminiscent of one that fueled the suburbanization of America in the second half of the 20th century. It's not just crowded open houses, multiple offers and bids above asking prices. People in New Jersey suburbs have no interest in putting their homes on the market, are receiving unsolicited calls and knocks on the door from brokers asking if they want to sell. Of course, residents have left New York for the suburbs for decades, especially to bring children into towns with stronger public schools, and it's very difficult to predict whether the new migration will continue at this pace once a vaccine for the coronavirus is available and office towers in the city fully reopen. What's more, most New York City residents don't have means to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on homes in the suburbs. So they go on, the article goes on to have a bunch of you know testimonies from people that they interviewed asking why that why they're leaving, where they're headed, what what were their main motivating factors for leaving. And it's exactly what I've been talking about on this show. It's higher taxes, right? Um, it's the fact that they can work from home now. They they don't have to commute to, to be in the office. The, the cities are getting more dangerous, more violent, and uh, they want more space <laughs> now that they have their, their kids home and things like that. So uh, I know I'm running a little long here. I'm not going to go through this whole article because it, it's just a lot of, um, you know, like individual testimony about w- what people's motivations were. But it, it's pretty much exactly just further evidence that I once again was correct in my analysis, and this article was written yesterday. Anyway, I'm running way over time here, guys. I'm going to wrap there. Thank you so very much for tuning in. And if you liked today's episode, or if you like the podcast in general, if you could do a couple things for me, I would really appreciate it. And of course, the first thing is to just download and subscribe and listen to every episode. Give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, and if you would like to become a supporting listener of the show, as I mentioned before, go to PedalingFictionPodcast.com, and you can do that from there. The site will be up for now and forever, uh, hopefully, and if you can do all that for me, I will be back on Thursday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, just remember...